O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. If someone says they're fine, they're probably lying. How people avoid showing weakness by putting on a brave face. That was uh, the headline in the Daily Mail last Tuesday. And the article went on to say this. Putting on a brave face and refusing to offload problems onto family and friends were the trends that emerged when a charity examined the everyday problems and worries of 2,000 people. The results highlighted a tendency to hide feelings of worry or avoid showing weakness for fear of being judged by others. The study showed the average person's approach to dealing with serious stress and worry and found that we regularly seek to hide problems, even from those closest to us, to avoid being a burden. When putting on a brave face, the average Brit is most likely to bury serious concerns around health, financial problems, or general mounting stress, and utters the throwaway phrase, I'm fine, eight times a month, when in reality, they are not. The article went on to say that it was a peculiarly British trait, and it might well be, but it's not a biblical one, thank God. Psalm 88 is a cry from the darkest depths of human experience, and as such, it is an invitation to drop the mask. It is an invitation to be honest, uh, to be honest with ourselves about how we are really feeling, to be honest with our God, and to be honest with each other about our experience of life. It's an invitation. But I want to suggest this morning that it's more than an invitation. Psalm 88 is a psalm. Now just think about that for a moment. What are the psalms? The psalms are the hymn book of God's people, Israel. They were inspired by God to catalogue the many and the varied experiences of the life of faith. The Psalms were given to sit at the heart of Israel's corporate worship, and indeed to shape her corporate worship. 
And therefore, of course, to shape their corporate life as the people of God, including Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is God-given. It's an inspired word to take its place in our worship life. God calls us to cry out to him, to lament, to vocalize our despair. In fact, in Psalm 88, he gives us words when words fail us. Psalm 88 then, if you like, legitimizes feelings and laments of sorrow and suffering. They are an authentic Christian experience to be brought before God as part of our Christian worship. And they are an authentic Christian experience because they were Christ's experience. Psalm 88 has been on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked this way of sorrow. And in that there is some comfort. But in fact, in walking this way of sorrow, he has transformed it. And in that there is all our hope. I want us to look at Psalm 88 together, just spend some time in it for a moment before we think about uh, what comfort there might be here. It's a song, isn't it, of, of darkness, of desertion, and even of death. Have a look at the first uh, verses with me. O oh Lord, the God who saves me. Lord is capital letters. You'll know that's God's personal name. So the psalmist is addressing God by his personal name. So this is the song of a believer. This is a song of faith, the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble. And how full of trouble it is. Do you see? He feels that he is in the deepest, darkest depths. That's there in verse 6. If you've ever experienced the healing splendor of a mountain view or the, the wide open panorama that sets your spirit free, then you'll have a sense of its opposite that verse 6 is speaking about. That sense of life that is increasingly uh, closing in and confining. That sense of heaviness and oppression. Seemingly, uh, your sorrow squeezing the life from your soul. That's what he's feeling. Indeed, he's feeling, verse 7, that he's drowning. The waves of trouble crashing over him. He is submerged in sorrow. Feels deserted, doesn't he? Deserted by God. Deserted by his friends, verse 8, how isolating sorrow and depression and suffering is. He feels that his condition is driving his friends far from him. So much so, in fact, that he finishes with that well-known verse, the darkness is my closest friend. He feels a sense of disorientation, I think. That's verses 6 to 12. Do you notice there's no easy solution to suffering here? Not in Psalm 88. He knows, verses 6 to 9, that God is sovereign. So he knows that God is no bystander, no mere bystander in his suffering, in his troubles. He knows that what he's going through is, is, is not outside of God's plan for him. And yet he knows that God is good, verses 10 to 12. He knows that God's promises for him uh, is good. He knows that he's a God of wonders. He knows he's a God of faithfulness. He knows he's a God of righteous deeds. But do you see in verses 6 to 12, he can't see how they lay over each other. He can't see how they connect 
at this moment. He is disorientated. He doesn't reject one of those two things. He holds on to both. I know you're all sovereign. I know you're all powerful. And I know you're all good. And it's precisely that paradox that drives biblical lament. If one of those things isn't true, you can no longer cry out why. If God's not all powerful, it's pointless to lament. If he's not all good, it's pointless to lament. It's precisely the fact that he's both all powerful, all sovereign, all good that drives his lament in verses 6 to 12. He feels as if he's in the darkest of depths, deserted by God and his friends, drowning and disorientated. Indeed, he's living, he says, a living death, verses 3 to 5. Charles Spurgeon, who'll be known to some of you, a great preacher, the greatest preacher of his generation many generations ago now, he was a man profoundly used by God. He was a man profoundly gifted. And he was a man who was profoundly troubled by depression. And he spoke often on Psalm 88, and here he is on the author of Psalm 88. He felt as if he must die. Indeed, he thought himself half dead already. All his life was going. His spiritual life declined. His mental life decayed. His bodily life flickered. He was nearer dead than alive. Some of us can enter into this experience. For many a time have we traversed this valley of death's shade. I, and dwelt in it by the month together. Really, to die and be with Christ will be a gala day's enjoyment compared with our misery when a worse than physical death has cast its dreadful shadow over us. Psalm 88 is a cry of a believer who is in the darkest of depths. But I want to suggest this morning that paradoxically, it is precisely for that reason that Psalm 88 has the power to bring some comfort. First, I want to say this. The point that Spurgeon goes on to make, and Psalm 88 makes, is is this. We are not pioneers in the darkness. We're not pioneers in the darkness. That's a phrase I got from Todd Billings, who wrote a book that a member of our congregation lent me a little while ago. The book is called Rejoicing in Lament. Todd Billings is an American theologian, or is an American theologian, who in his late 30s was uh, diagnosed with incurable blood cancer. And it chronicles really his reaction to that, particularly as he prayed through the Psalms and the Psalms of Lament in particular in the aftermath of the diagnosis and the beginning of treatment. It's an extraordinary book and it is without doubt the best I have written, Rejoicing in Lament. And if, that is, uh, if Psalm 88 speaks to you and you feel as if to some extent you are walking that road, then may I commend it to you, Rejoicing in Lament by Todd Billings. I can give you the details afterwards. He talks about the fact that we are not pioneers in the darkness. Listen to how Spurgeon continues. Are good men ever permitted to suffer thus? Indeed they are. O Lord, let none of thy mourners imagine that a strange thing has happened unto them, but rather rejoice as they see the footprints of brethren who have trodden this desert before. You see, for Spurgeon and for many others, it is of some comfort to know that When we walk this road, we are not in uncharted waters. It's not unknown territory. We're not pioneers in the darkness. It is of some comfort to know that that others have been this way. You know, one of the things, as we saw in Psalm 88, is that this condition of sorrow, suffering, depression can be so very isolating. 
can make us feel so very alone. And some idiot says, no, others have walked this road. Others are walking this road. You're not unique. You're not alone. Just to have the experience that we're going through vocalized for us can bring some comfort. Many have lived through Psalm 88, and yes, have come through Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is not the final word. But it brings us some comfort as we recognize that we are not pioneers in the darkness. It legitimizes how we're feeling, and it reminds us that this is an authentic Christian experience because it was Christ's experience. He knew the agony of facing death in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew the loneliness of friends deserting him. He knew the darkness of feeling forsaken by God as he cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the death of Good Friday, and he knew the silence of Saturday. Suffering is not strange, it's not abnormal, for we walk in the footsteps of a crucified Lord, the man of sorrows, uniquely able to sympathize Yes, he sympathizes, but more than that, much more than that, we walk in the footsteps of a crucified Lord who precisely in walking this path of darkness and sorrow transformed it, absorbed it, drew its sting. It precisely stopped it from being the final word in a Christian's life. In his footsteps, the path of Psalm 88 is no longer a meaningless one. It can be meaningful. It can be a place where God's redemptive work can and does reach, even into the darkest of depths, so we may not see it. You see, have a look at verses 10 to 12, those questions. See, in the wisdom of God, verses 10 to 12... See, those questions demand the answer no in Psalm 88, don't they? Are your, you know, uh, do you show your wonders to the dead? No. Do those, who, do those who are dead rise up and praise you? In the psalm, for the psalmist in his situation, they demand the answer no. But in the wisdom of God, in the life of Christ, they are answered yes, aren't they? Verses 10 to 12. The dead did rise to praise his God. God's faithfulness was seen in the death of Christ. The wonder of God's victory over sin and death was seen as Christ hung in the darkness. In Christ, the path of suffering has been transformed from one that inevitably led to the dead end of death, now to one that leads to the doorway of glory. And as for Jesus, so too for his followers. In God's wisdom, even our sorrows and our suffering will be saved from being meaningless and futile. God can and he does work his redeeming wonders out in the darkest depths of human experience. And we may at times, having been through such a season of Psalm 88, look back and see that and praise God. Uh, yes, I see what he did there. I see, I see a little of what was going on. I see a little of his design there, looking back. You know, sometimes we won't, it seems to me. Sometimes we'll look back and it will just seem meaningless and futile. It will just seem dark and desperate. We, we won't see God's design in it. Even then, I think the life of Christ can make us sure of it, even if we can't see it. Certainly, I want to suggest that as we walk through Psalm 88, when that's our present experience, it'll be hard to see anything through the veil of tears 
as Psalm 88 puts it. So this is a truth, friends, to be learned when we're on the mountains, isn't it? Before we get to the valleys. Even then, I don't think it'll make our journey through Psalm 88 any easier if we're living it. But I think in the power of the Spirit, it will strengthen our steps to get through it. We will need support from our God and from each other. And that's the second thing I want to say. We're not pioneers in the darkness. Uh, Neither do we need to pretend in the darkness. You see, Psalm 88, as I said at the beginning, is an invitation, isn't it? To be honest about our lives with ourselves. Not to put on a brave face. Not to pretend we're feeling something that we're not. To be honest with God and to be honest with each other. Here is uh, a man called Paul Tripp, who's an American theologian and counselor, writing on Psalm 88. What was God trying to do as he ordained this psalm to be written? Well, he's saying this. You don't have to deny reality. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to paint your story with different colors in order to be acceptable to God. You can come to him exactly as you are. It's only then that I can begin to understand how hopeful I can be. Because I am in a relationship with a God who will never turn his back in disgust. He will never get tired and walk away. He doesn't demand me to play games in order to achieve his acceptance. He welcomes me so deeply to be so personally honest that I have the courage to say to him, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what all this means. I am so lost. I'm so confused that it feels like my closest friend is darkness. Don't have to put on a brave face with God. As if he's somehow disappointed when we uh, are submerged in confusion and sorrow and despair. He welcomes such honesty. It's what a healthy relationship looks like. There's nothing faithless about this sort of lament, about crying out when we're in the darkness, about crying, why, Lord? Nothing faithless about that. In fact, Psalm 88, there at the heart of our corporate worship life, says this, doesn't it? That actually such cries are a facet of faithfulness. It's faithfulness. When we cry out to God with what we're actually feeling. Need to be honest with God, can be honest with God, need to be honest with each other. I remember speaking with a Christian uh, who was going through a very uh, dark season of his life, and he was finding it difficult to come to church, and he was finding it difficult to go along to his uh, house group, though they were a great support to him, uh, and uh, they visited him uh, during his uh, suffering. And as I spoke to him, there were two reasons that came really out why he had withdrawn. And they were these. First, he said he found it difficult to sing the songs. So they were all so upbeat, so positive, so happy. There was, he said, no place to express, to articulate his emotional state in the worship service. And he said that he felt like he couldn't go to his house group because his struggles and his prayer requests in this season seemed so much greater than what was usually shared that he felt like sharing it would be sort of inappropriate, that it would somehow make people in the house group feel uncomfortable with that level of uh, honesty, with that level of rawness. Made me think then, and it makes me think now as I read through Psalm 88, as a church, corporately, as members of house groups, can we handle such seasons of life? Do we make space 
for such seasons of life. Those who are going through such seasons of life, and I take it there'll be many of us here who are, do we feel as if this is a place where we can come and articulate that? That there is space to express that corporately and then when we meet in our smaller groups. House groups, do we share so little of our trials and our troubles, our anxieties and our sorrows that people would find it inappropriate to speak of their own? Do we you know, stay at the level of so often what is mundane when there are people who are dying inside but, but would feel it was inappropriate to share it? You know, like the Daily Mail article, are we worried about being burdened, showing weakness? Perhaps that happens because those of us who aren't necessarily going through Psalm 88 and the comforters, if you like, we don't know what to say. And what would I say in that situation if someone said that to me? You know, Psalm 88 is a comfort to the comforters, isn't it? Because it reminds us that we don't have to say anything. That sometimes what is needed, what is best, is just a listening ear as the person pours out their heart. Now, sorrow is never static, it seems to me. There are times when actually it is right to say something, we should say something, but there are other times when it's right to keep our mouths shut and just listen. Just listen to the person's experience, what it is that they're going through, as God does in Psalm 88. He gives the psalmist a listening ear. One person said this, Psalm 88, properly understood, is very freeing. For the comforter is reassured that it is okay just to listen without the pressure of having to fix something or say something profound. If we remember that, we won't be so afraid to visit someone in the hospital or to comfort someone in the funeral home or to run into a sad or depressed person and ask, how are you really? Somebody asked me whether we make enough space in our worship services to allow for expressions of lament. I do wonder what it, what it says about modern church culture that so many of our songs seem to be so very carefree and to have so little of the lament of Psalm 88. I wonder whether it means that as a church we have bought into the death-denying, happiness-at-all-costs culture that surrounds us. Surely, with our understanding of sin and the brokenness of the world, we should be the one community that can articulate and make sense of both the joys of life and its sorrows, the gravity of darkness and death and the grace of God, which defeats it. Uniquely, Psalm 88 of all the Psalms does not include or end on a note of hope, That's not, of course, because the psalmist wants to contradict what is experienced by others, but rather because in this season of life, at this moment, for the author of Psalm 88, he rises in darkness and he returns to his bed in darkness. It is a reminder, isn't it, that sometimes comfort does not come quickly. Sometimes it does not come quickly. Sometimes life is lived in the silence of the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Psalm 88 is a cry from the darkest depths, but paradoxically, therein lies its hope. We're not pioneers in the darkness. Others have walked this road. 
we're invited indeed to cry out in total honesty to the God who has walked this road before us. Walked it and transformed it. He is, as the psalmist begins his cry in verse 1, the God who saves me. He is the God who came to walk this road precisely to transform it. He is the the one who comes precisely to a broken world in order to be its savior above all things. The God who saves me. The psalmist clings on to that. The suffering and the silence of Friday and Saturday gave way for the Lord Jesus to the songs of Sunday. In the darkest seasons of life, therefore, there is hope. Hope that God can and does work in the darkness of life. Hope that he never, ever abandons abandons us in the darkness of life. And hope that there will one day be a day when darkness is a distant memory. God give us the grace if we are walking the mountains at the moment to praise him for that and to take these truths on board now and if we're walking the road of Psalm 88 God give you the grace to be honest with yourself uh, to be honest with him and know your cries of lament are an act of faithfulness to a God who longs to hear them be honest with each other your house group your small group whoever it might be pour out your heart let them listen and to know the God who brings hope, even in the depths of despair. Amen.